I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Those of you in here and those of you on virtual audience, do me a favor. Look at somebody to the left or right and say, neighbor, I need some help right along through here. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. All right, I'm going to try it one more time like you ain't made it in living in a pandemic. Oh, magnify. All right, I'm going to try it one more time like you didn't have breakfast this morning. Oh, magnify. One more time like God ain't done nothing for you. Oh, magnify. The Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. If God's been good to you, come on, give God the best praise you can give him right now. Amen. Amen. To Pastor Sharp, to Pastor Reginald Sharp. Come on, give God praise. Um, for Pastor Sharp and for my partner, my friend, Lady Bree as well. Come on, give God praise um, for them. Listen, there are some people um, that are gifted and anointed in God to do God's work. Um, they are great preachers, but not all of them are good people. And fellowship, you have a great preacher and a great person. And I won't, I believe he deserves all this time. Let's give it, give it up for him one more time. On, on the ride here, I said, you know, um, Pastor Sharp uh, knows everybody and everybody knows him. Uh, and so, if you want to know what grace looks like, this is what it is with me standing before you today. <laughs> uh, I don't want to hold you too long. A famous passage of scripture that you probably read before, John chapter 11. Um, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And for the sake of brevity, I only want to read two verses. Um, John chapter 11, beginning... Verse 5. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And it reads like this it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 6 again. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. If you would give me just a brief amount of time, I want to tag this text from this thought, um, tomb tension. That's what I want to talk about today, tomb um, tension. Our Father, this is preaching time. Know that I can't do this without you, only through you. Praying you saturate my spirit. Allow your word to go forth in a mighty way where your people will be held. And we'll be sure to give you all praise, glory, and honor. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Tomb tension. The world's tallest bungee jump is found in Macau, China at the Macau Tower. It stands 764 feet in the air. Yet... People near and far every single year go and travel to China to make this unprecedented jump from 764 feet in the air. There's another place over in New Zealand. It's called the Kawarau Bridge. 
This Kawarau Bridge, brothers and sisters, uh, it, it's, it's literally one of the more famous places to jump, but this jump, brothers and sisters, has claimed the lives of 650,000 people. However, still, year in and year out, people travel from near and far to make this death-defying jump. And one also, one of the more famous ones is the Victoria Falls Bridge that sits at the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia. And at this particular bridge, it's a bit different because the waters below the bridge are infested with crocodiles. If everything goes well, then you are successful in your jump, and that's great. But if anything goes wrong, then brothers and sisters, you will be the lunch, dinner, or snack of some hungry crocodile. You know, I, I was fascinated and enamored with this process of, of a bungee jump. Now, you'll never see me jumping from any of these heights because I have a fear of heights. That's, not, that's why I'm not tall. So I, I found myself um, wanting to be and in in trying to understand the science behind the bungee jump. My, my question, brothers and sisters, while I was watching these adrenaline junkies jump from these unprecedented heights, I wondered, brothers and sisters, at what point of the jump does the jumper experience the most force? At, at what point of the jump does he or she experience the most tension on the cord? And I reached out to my research assistant, Google, and Google told me that at the point at which they is no more acceleration is when the jumper experiences the most force. In other words, brothers and sisters, when the jumper cannot go any further, it's the tension that they experience at zero that pulls them back up after jumping from an extremely high height. You see, brothers and sisters, it's this tension that we're forced to wrestle with when we come to John chapter 11. You, we read it in our hearing. Notice how the text opens. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And they send word to Jesus and they say, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. That, that we know about this family, that Jesus has some type of relationship with these people. And they send word to mighty Jesus and say Lord the, the one whom you love the one whom you have a relationship with the one who you cool with that's your partner the, that one is sick and I just assume brothers and sisters that Jesus would quickly tie his sandals and, 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 and gear up his tunic and, and head down to Bethany on, on the road but brothers and sisters that's not what the text tells us is it as a matter of fact I, I grew up in church like many of you and when we were children, we would sing that song that they say he's an on time God. Yes, he is. You know, Dottie people said, you remember Job said he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I came to tell you he's an on time God. Yes, 
he is. You know what Dottie was talking about, that God seems to always to show up at the right time. But when we read John chapter 11, brothers and sisters, we get to verse 5 and verse 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And because he loved them, the text tells us, so he waited and stayed where he was two days longer. I'll try it one more time. Because he loved them, he stayed where he was two days longer. And I got to be honest, I'm probably not as spiritual as some of you that are listening to me today. But I've got a problem because how in the world am I going to make sense of a God that is loving and late at the same time? And, and how in the world am I supposed to deal with the tension that God can love me but not show up when I need him? How am I supposed to deal with the reality that God says that you are my child but you don't show up when I need you to show up? And brothers and sisters, Jesus does not show up for Mary and Martha at the top of their jump but Jesus waits until they get to the ultimate bottom and that's when Jesus shows up brothers and sisters but I had to look for a minute because I believe that that could be the very character of God you know those children of Israel they were in the, they were in the wilderness God promised them that they were going to have a land flowing with milk and honey and right when they got to the doorstep they had to wander another 40 years because God is loving and late at the same time. There's a widow in Nain and she has a son who gets sick. Jesus doesn't show up while he's sick but waits at the funeral procession and touches the coffin and brings him back to life because he's loving and late at the same time. You remember Job? Job lost his family. Job lost his sons. Job lost his daughters. Job lost all his money and he had to wait 38 chapters until the very end of Job because God is loving and late at the same time. You remember John chapter 5. That's that man at the pool of Bethesda and there he is. He's been there for 38 years and Jesus shows up one day and says rise, take up your mat and walk because he's loving and late at the same time. That's, that's, that's what we see. But, but, but I got to be honest with you today. I, I, why is he uh, loving and late at the same time, Pastor Sharp, I, I like uh, what that what that old uh, preacher Alexander McLaren says. He says a wheel may be broken at a blow, but it will take a while to bend. That God's love in Jesus Christ is nothing better than the opportunity to bend His will, bend our will towards His. You, you know what you know what he's talking about because if, if God wanted to break something, all he had to do was use the right amount of force to break a particular object. But in order to bend something, that is going to require force over an extended amount of time. Hear me, fellowship. I'm saying that, that sometimes God is not concerned with breaking you, but that God is concerned with bending you. Have I, have I got anybody here in the room today and watching me that's saying, yeah, I know what that feels like. Because if he wanted to break me, he could have took mama a long time ago, but mama is still here. If he, if he wanted to break me. They could have just sent me a, they could have just sent me a rejection letter. But sometimes God said, No, I'm not concerned with breaking you. I'm concerned with bending. 
bending you and bending may take a little time and bending may take some days and bending may take some weeks but I'm okay because as long as he's bending me that means his hand is still on me that's what I'm I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to hurry um trying to hurry. That's where we find him. Uh, we find Jesus in this particular sense. And, and, and here it is, brothers and sisters. I, I like what one old preacher says. He says, Jesus does not show up when he's invited. He shows up when his presence will be the most fruitful. Uh, I, you know, I, he doesn't show up when you think he should show up. Uh, uh, Jesus shows up when it will be the most fruitful. So that's, that's what I want to suggest. I want to throw uh, a couple of these, uh, the fruit of the tomb, if you will, here today. Uh, as, we, uh, as we look at this particular narrative, because I want you to know that you can trust God with your attention. You can trust God with your attention. You can trust God with your attention because of who he is. Yeah, I wish it was deeper, but that, that's, that's all I got. You can trust God. Uh, with your attention because of who he is. You see verse 17, it says, uh, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary, had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. You know, I, I like this because I really like Martha. You know, only a sister uh, could hear that the Messiah is on his way to a city and not wait till he gets to the house, but leaves her house to point her finger in the Lord's face and say, Lord, if you had been here, I sent word to you, Lord, if you had been here, uh, uh, my, my, my brother would not have that. I like, I like Martha's statement because it sounds a lot like me because many of our prayers are laced and saturated with both difficulty and dependence at the same time. You see, I like what she says because Martha is a real believer in Jesus Christ and if you haven't ever prayed a prayer that you had some time when you're saying, Lord, I don't get it, I don't understand, but on the other end, I still believe. That's what Martha is trying to get us to understand it's a picture of what real faith looks like it's a picture of protest and faith in her prayer at the same time I, I like it Lord she said if you had been here my brother would still be here but Jesus says Jesus says, Jesus says your brother will rise again you know I, I thought y'all were churchy and usually the text would just stop right there I'll try it one more time she said Lord if you had been here my, my, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, your brother will rise uh, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it because she says, oh, oh, I know that my brother will rise again because he, he's going to rise at, at the end uh, when, when, when God comes in the resurrection on the last day. I like Martha because obviously she, she sat in somebody's theology class. You know, she's, she's been there before. She, she's, been to, she's been to somebody's school before because she said, Lord, I know he's going to rise again, but he's going to rise in the la on the last day in the resurrection, in that great getting up morning. He's going to come. That's when I know that my brother is going to rise again. And Jesus says, Martha, you are wrong. Yeah. 
Because here it is, brothers and sisters, Martha is wrong about two things. Number one, notice she says, if your brother had been, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Martha, I got to mess you up for a moment because in John chapter 4, there's a royal official that shows up to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you come with me to go see my son who is about to die? Jesus said, I ain't got to go where your son is to heal your son, what he's going through all I got to do is speak a word and your son will live again and the Bible tells us that the that the official took Jesus at his word and went on back home and when he got back home he saw that at the same hour that Jesus declared his son would live his son was still alive not only were you wrong about that Martha but then you're wrong about this Martha you know he will get up on the last resurrection but and Jesus says do you believe this because Martha you got things messed up yes I am Jesus yes I am the son of God yes I am God and but yes I am all of that but what good is a God that is in heaven but cannot come into the nook and crank of where you are right now Jesus is trying to get us get us to understand that not only am I a God that is up there I'm also a God that is down here not only am I a God of the neighborhood I'm also a God of your hood not, not only am I a God that knows something about what you're going through but I've come into the very situation where you are right now and I can change things because I'll get in the midst of your situation I like Martha because it tells us something Jesus says do you believe this I had to tell you sharp that the word there in the Greek it literally means almost in two that Jesus is trying to get Martha to redefine or to rethink her theology he says Martha do you believe this do you believe in me can you believe can you pour your faith into me because she wants her to know that not only am I the embodiment of what you need but I am the embodiment of what you need right now what good is a God that can only help me tomorrow but can't help me today what good is a God that can only help me in the future but not in the present and Jesus wants us to know that I'm a specific God I can help you right now that's 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 what we learn hey, it reminds me of that uh that famous existential the, uh, theologian uh Paul Tillich Paul Tillich uh he, he we know him for his famous uh contributions and one day he would write these two autobiographies uh, that chronicled his life during World War One. About, but ironically, brothers and sisters, uh, Paul Tillich would end up in the very same bed that he was helping those get out of. That one theologian critiques the life of Tillich and says that Tillich's theology is a good example of what happens when a theologian loses his orthodox Christian faith. In other words, the reason why Tillich suffered a nervous breakdown was because he no longer believed in a personal God. His, his God became so abstract that he was no longer any concrete good. 
You know, I, I know something about this. You know, I went to school. You know, I went to school and thought I was somebody. I, 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 lived, uh, I lived in Waco, Texas for quite some time, and, and I was down there pursuing my masters, uh, my masters of divinity. You know, I've, I've been there. I was down there, and I'm learning about all these great uh, Christians of the faith and learning about all these different types of theology and, and learning how to better myself. You know, and I got all this Bible knowledge. But brothers and sisters, uh, one day I had to drive back home from Memphis, Tennessee, from Waco, Texas. And while I'm driving, before I got in my car, as was her custom, my grandmother, who is from, who is from a, a Blue Mountain, Mississippi, you can't even find it on the map, she called me, and she didn't even finish high school. But as she normally would do, she says, Ty, I just want to let you know you're going to make it home because I already prayed for you. I got in the car, brothers and sisters. It was 841 miles from my house to, to, to back to Memphis, Tennessee. And while I was driving, I saw people on the sides of the road. And while I, I was driving, I saw car wrecks. I saw people losing control of the wheel. While I was driving, I saw potholes that I was able to swerve around. I saw police officers that, that didn't pull me over for tickets. And you know, I got to thinking when I got to all the way to Memphis, Tennessee, I said, what good is it if I got all this Bible knowledge? I know all of these things. I know epistemology. I know soteriology. I know all of these great things, but I need a God that I need somebody who can answer my prayer. I need a God that's able to get into my situation and make things be. Listen, I don't care who you are. It ain't because of how much you know. It's about how much God is able to do in your life. That's where we find it. It's where we go. I'm trying to hurry. Um, I'm trying to hurry. That's that's what we see. That the writer John is, is trying to show something in this book of signs, the book of wonders. He, he's showing that notice uh, you never see the Greek word for power in the gospel of John. Because ultimately, John wants the readers to look to Jesus as being the source for everything in their life. In other words, you don't, I don't have to write power, but you can see power. That's, that, that, that's what we see. And, and notice... Do you, Martha, believe in this? I like Martha's response because she's learned so much in just one conversation. She responds, yes, Lord. And maybe that's what God is waiting for. For somebody here today, I know you've got tension in your life, but God is waiting on the other side of your prayer that is laced with difficulty and dependence. Our prayers have to end with a very simple yes, Lord, yes to your will and yes to your way. That's what we find, but you can trust him with your tomb, not only because of who he is, but also you can trust him with your tomb because he cares. Uh, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and then the text moves, brothers and sisters, from a different scene uh, to him encountering Mary as well. Notice that there's not, uh, uh, they're, they're still not in the village yet, but Mary goes to the very same place that Martha is. That John sometimes does these double meanings or these double entendres that, that it says in the text, it says that he went to the same, that she went to the same place as Martha. That John could be trying to show that both are having the same issue wherein there is simply nothing that they can do in and of themselves. And Mary and Martha are in the very same place. 
And you know this because, remember, even Mary, who had not heard what her or her sister had said, Mary utters the exact same phrase. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both need the same thing from the Lord. But notice what the text says. I love it. It says that Jesus was deeply moved. And that's communicating something to these women because Jesus is showing them that although I am the resurrection and the life, I still care for you. Although I'm all the way up here, I'm still God enough to come down here. Just in the very simple reality that he was moved, it not only speaks to the transcendence of God, but it also speaks to the eminence of God that although I'm not too high, that I don't care about the people that I love, it is an image of a God that walks with us to our tension-filled tombs with tear-stained eyes. He just wants Mary and Martha to understand that he cares. Some of us are too spiritual now. Uh, some of us have, have been to church too, one too many times now. And that we remember um, that, that, that old song that we would sing as, as children. Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him below. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And that reality, brothers and sisters, in those moments, in the chasm between a God that is late and loving, I'm trying to tell you to trust the reality that he still loves you. Even in the midst when it doesn't feel like he loves you, he still loves you. That's, that's what we see. But then it's, it's more here because notice the location. Lo, notice the location. It happens, brothers and sisters, in Bethany. It happens in Bethany. It Notice in the verse, first verse of the chapter, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And the text tells us that Jesus had some good friends, and they are the residents of a village named Bethany. I got to let you know that Bethany means house of the afflicted. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the name Bethany means house of the marginalized. And, and, and it's in that house, in that village, where Jesus' friends are located. I drove up the friend, I, I drove up here, brothers and sisters. And while I was driving, of course, I saw those signs, Black Lives Matter, outside. You know, it's been so much going on in our world, and we've seen uh, the killings of multiple uh, black and brown bodies as uh, we've been going throughout our day that have been captured on cell phone or captured in any many other facets. And there have been those that have raised up in resistance, either shouting uh, that all lives matter or blue lives matter. Well, brothers and sisters, if we really mattered, you know, the first slave came to America in 1619 and did not ask to be there you know if we really mattered would you be building prisons based off of third grade reading scores and, and privatizing that prison so that some white man somewhere can make money off those kids if we matter do we really matter if we had if we didn't have the largest jail population in the country and over 50 percent is full of men and men of color if we matter you wouldn't be saying that if our hbcus weren't underfunded you wouldn't be saying that 
said if, if, if at the beginning of the Constitution you told us that we were three-fifths of a human being if we do we really matter brothers and sisters and the problem that we've got to the one question that we've got to ask to some of our light-skinned cousins is that if G if black lives matter to Jesus why on God's green earth do they not matter to you because based upon your speech and your action it does not show us that you are willing to be residents in the house of the afflicted it shows us that you are not willing to go to Bethany you only want to be in Jerusalem but brothers and sisters God is not always concerned to going to Jerusalem but God wants us to understand that I've got friends in places that other people won't go to I got friends in places where, where other people don't care about I'm God enough and still good enough to still go to Bethany that's that's where we see him. They, uh, he's deeply moved. He comes to Bethany because uh, you can trust him with that tension. Because I want you to know that Jesus cares. I wish I had something deeper. But Jesus cares. But finally, I'm in my seat. Uh, you can trust God with your tension-filled tune uh, because of what he says. No, notice notice how, this, how this text um, um, how, how, it op- how it ends in that last scene uh, at the grave, brothers and sisters. Remember, remember how, it's, how, how, how it ends. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a, and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Uh, uh, and take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, uh, by this time, I don't know if you know this, but he's going to stink. Uh, and, and Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Um, so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. That you have heard me. I know that you have always, that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Um, I got one question that, that, that I have to have answered. And, and I, I promise y'all I'm done with y'all. I, I, I'm going I'm to get off the ship. I, I swear. I got one question. Notice how, what, what it reads. It, it says, um, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Pastor Sharp, I, I got a question. Who is they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, who are the individuals that were responsible for moving the stone from the grave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I got to be honest with y'all. As deep as what you think I, I, I may be or, or as deep as what you think I may assume, I do not know. But I will tell you this. I know that John does something in his gospel that, that, uh, that the other synoptic writers do not do. You see, in John chapter 2, you remember there's a marriage marriage at Cana, and Jesus has been invited to the wedding, and Jesus shows up at the wedding. And his his mother goes to him and says, Jesus, the wine has run out. And Jesus says, what does that have to do with me? And she then looks to those servants in John chapter 2, verse 5, and says, do whatever he tells you to do. 
I got to be honest with y'all. We don't know the name of those servants. We don't know where they come from. We don't know their social security number. That they are anonymous participants that play a part in us seeing the glory of the God. Had it not been for the anonymous servants in John chapter 2, then my brothers and sisters, they all at the wedding do not get the, get the ability to experience wine that was better than anything they've had before. You see, brothers and sisters, when we look at John chapter 2 and fast forward to John chapter 11, the very same Greek phrase that happens in John chapter 2, do whatever he tells you, shows up in John chapter 11 and take the stone away. You can't see it in English, but it's very clear in Greek. In other words, what, what, what book ends, the book of signs or the book of wonders is a command to just do whatever the Lord tells you to do. And so here it is. What should be the response of our lives filled with tension for a God who cares and to a God who knows and a God who is the resurrection and the life? The answer is just to do whatever he tells you to do. You know, because the glory of God is waiting on the other side of your ability to be obedient to his strange request. He told those servants to go dip those, fill those water pots. And they didn't have water anywhere. They had to pick those pots up and, and dip them again and dip them again and dip them again. But when they did what the Lord told them to do, they were able to have fresh wine. John chapter 4. You remember what happens? It didn't make any sense for that man to do what Jesus told him to do. But Jesus told him, go on back home. You can trust my word. He went back home. And when he went back home, his son was still alive. John chapter 6. Although for those old people, they were hungry in a desolate place. And while they're hungry in a desolate place, they told him to send the people away. Jesus said, no, y'all feed them. He said, well, bring me what you have. They bring him two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus takes the two fish and five loaves of bread, blesses it, breaks it, and feeds 5,000. I'm trying to tell you that the wonder of the Lord is on the other side of your ability to be obedient to his request, whatever he makes in your life. I'm trying to tell somebody the reason why you're on the doorstep of what God asked for you is because you're being disobedient. The reason why things aren't working in your life is because you're not being obedient and God is waiting on your yes in order to do something crazy in your life. That's, that's where we find him. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I get it. I, I, I get it because it's hard to move stones. It, it, I get it. It's, uh, it's hard um, to, to, to move. It takes a lot of strength. Uh, to move stones. It, it, it takes a lot of willpower <laughs> um, um, uh, um, to, to move stones. You know, story goes of this young man by the name of Ayaz. Uh, he was close friends with a, a king uh, named Memhood, and, and they would, he would oftentimes spend time praising the king. And people in the court didn't like that. They would make fun of Ayaz. They thought he was a suck-up. And, and Ayaz said it didn't, didn't really worry about it, but the king took notice that people were making fun of Ayaz. And so one day, while the court was full, the king does something. He brings out this large diamond. He calls the prime minister uh, ahead of him. He says, hey, how much is this diamond worth? 
the, the prime minister looks at the uh, looks at this uh, particular diamond and pulls it up in the air and says, well, this uh, diamond has to be worth many bags of gold. He said, yeah. He said, all right, do me a favor, prime minister, break the diamond. He said, sir, I can't break this diamond. It's way too valuable. The, the king said, all right, that's cool. Gives him a reward and sends him on his way the next day. He brings a reader in the court. He says, hey, how much is this diamond worth? He says, oh, this diamond is worth so much money. I can't even calculate. He said, that's fine. He said, do me a favor. Break the diamond. Uh, the reader looks at him at the king with a confused face. Said, king, I can't break this diamond. It's way too valuable. The king said, that's fine. He gives him a reward and sends him on his way. He does this for several days at a time. But at the end of the week, he called Ayaz for him. He said, Ayaz, uh, how much is this diamond worth? He, Ayaz said, well, this diamond is worth more money than I have, king. He said, well, do me a favor, Ayaz. Take that diamond and break it on the ground. Without any hesitation, Ayaz then takes the diamond and smashes it on the ground into many pieces. And the people in the court begin to make fun of Ayaz, brothers and sisters. But it was Ayaz that turns to his opposers and says, you didn't break the diamond but, but ignore the command of the king, which is more beautiful and more precious than the diamond. I value the king above the diamond. You were too busy looking at the king than looking at the diamond. Could this be true about many of us today? That the reason why you won't move your stone is you too focused on the size of your stone. And you too focused on the weight of the stone. But when we really focus on Jesus, there's nothing that is more valuable that, that what we have here today you know I like that old song that some folk would rather have houses and land some folk choose silver and gold these things they treasure but forget about they soul but I've decided to make Jesus my choice the road gets rough and the going gets tough and the hills are hard to climb but I decided a long time ago that there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus is my choice I'm in my seat I'm in my seat. Thank y'all so much for allowing me to come today. I really appreciate it. But it tells us something. That, that on the other side of your obedience is wonder that God has for you. But you've got to do those strange requests. This is John chapter 11. I wouldn't be Baptist if I didn't close this way. John chapter 11. You know what this is. Jesus tells them to move the stone away. And, and, and when they move the stone away. You, you remember what happens. The Bible tells us that Lazarus comes forth. Um, you do know that he had to call him by name. And because if he did not call him by name, David would have got up. Lord, if he did not call him by name, Abraham would have ended up getting off. But Jesus said, he said, Lazarus, Lord have mercy, come forth. And the Bible 
tells us that he came out with his grave clothes on and Jesus told him loose him and set him free bye bye may God bless y'all real good but I'm trying to tell somebody that that's John chapter 11 but in John chapter 12 there's two times that Lazarus shows up and every time he shows up they said the one whom Jesus raised from the grave his testimony was so loud that he never had to say a word I'm trying to tell you today that on the other side of your obedience, on the other side of your yes, God's got a testimony that when you show up in the room, they're going to look at you and say, that's the one that God turned around. That's the one that God brought his child back home. That's the one who was on their sickbed, but God brought them back. That's the one that God brought a mighty long way. That's that one that used to be on drugs. That's that one that used to drink. That's that one that used to always be on edibles. But in the other side, when you do what the Lord says, there's a testimony that you can have. Thank y'all so much. I gotta get on out of here. But I've the lightning flash I've heard the thunder roar I felt sin breakers dashing trying to conquer my soul but I heard the voice of Jesus telling me to keep on fighting he promised in the pandemic he promised friends leave me alone he promised no money in the bank he promised having a pastor in a pandemic he promised never to leave me no never alone if God's been good to you I've been up here too long if God's been good I need you to do me one favor I need you to help me help somebody somebody need to be a testimony if you're watching on live or you're watching me in the bed lift your hands in the air shout yes I said shout yeah shout yeah I said shout yeah I 
promise y'all I'm done. But if God's been good to somebody, if God's been good to them, don't put your hands on them. Don't touch nobody in the room. Don't You can touch them in your house, but don't touch them in the room. I need you to look at them. You like you want to put your hands on them. I need you to look at them square in the eye. I need you to look at them and say, name, I got a word for you that's going to help you go to sleep tonight. I got a word for you that's going to help you get through this week. So let them, I got a word for you. And that word is weeping may endure for a night. But child, hey, it's gonna come in the morning. Sorrow got to go. Pain got to go. Depression got to go. Heartache got to go. Sorry's got to go. Because I got company coming in the morning. If you got company in the room, shut it. Shut My, 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 my. my God, my God, my God. Tomb tension. Tomb tension. Can we thank God for the preacher? This message. And thank God for the messenger. Long live the Reverend Robert Ty Jones. Tomb tension. You may be out there and be experiencing some tension yourself. The sermon for me spoke to the fact I can deal with my tension if I have a, the right relationship. Martha and Mary were able to deal with the tension of losing their brother because they had a relationship with Jesus. You may be outside of that relationship. We offer Christ to you today, my brother, my sister. There on the screen, there's a number you can text. There's an email you can write to. And we want to offer Christ to you so that you too can deal with the tensions of your life. We offer Christ to you. It's simple. All you got to do is admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. We're grateful because you have the opportunity now to have some help when you deal with your tomb tension. We thank God the doors of the church are never closed. We acknowledge they're open now. Text us, email us. You may receive Christ. The praise team is going to help us now in this invitational moment.
sit here reflecting. Yes. Yesterday, we were headed to the grocery store, my family and I. And as we were going down the street, a car out of nowhere decided to do a U-turn in the middle of the street. We saw headlights looking directly at us. And so the fact that I'm able to be here right now is good enough reason for me to offer praise to our God. And I don't know who's on the other side of this camera, but I know you too have a few reasons to offer praise to our God. So you get that reason in your mind and you begin to worship and praise God wherever you are. Put the coffee down, put the laptop down and you begin to worship and praise God because God's been real good. He's got you through some contentious moments and whatever you've been going through, the fact that you got through it is enough reason to give God praise right where you are. We offer praise. to sow through worship, worship through sowing. I am a witness that if you take care of God's house, I just believe the fact that I've been faithful in my giving, God can be faithful in his preserving. I, I'm just a witness that God will do more than you ever can expect. 
if you be faithful in your giving. There's seven ways to give that are up on your screen right now. I encourage you, sow into this word, the tensions of your tomb, the tomb tensions, so that when those moments come, you'll have somebody there fighting for you. We thank you, God, for all that our ears have heard this day. Now, God, we say, may your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. May your whole life prove that God is good. I pray your whole life proves that God is good. It's okay to praise him. It's okay to praise him all day long. It's okay to praise him all day long. He's been good all day long. He's kept you all day long. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus.